Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Diane Time is here. That's right, we're talking Scream on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal Patrick Hamilton coming to you once again from Woodsboro High. This is the Kill by Kill podcast where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details of 1996's seminal scream in the hopes that a young high school student's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there's only one person I trust that if we pop in a movie with just a girl with big boobs who's always running up the stairs when she should be heading out the door, she'll point it out for me. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? I'm good, but I'm disappointed that you didn't say uh, you, 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 the death, the death of the Fonz is is where, <laughs> you know, where we can start making fun, when we start making fun of them. I I don't plan these things ahead. <laughs> Strangely <laughs> enough, I've never written these things down. It's always whatever occurs to me in the moment. And uh, yeah, I do. This is a question I have for you, Gina, before we get into Scream at all. But for us, when you saw Henry Weekler pop up on a movie screen, you're like, I haven't seen that gentleman in quite some time. He is in amber, the fawns to me. But I don't think that anyone of a younger generation has that fossilized idea of him. He's more ubiquitous than that now. He's like one of those America's dad types, like kind of like yeah. uh, like a like a like a you know, almost version on a Tom Hanks type, mm-hmm. where he's just so you know lovable and apparently is is you know an absolutely an absolute gem of a human being in real yeah. life and and. He doesn't see he he seems to be very comfortable playing somewhat foolish looking characters. Yeah, and uh, which is always which is always a you know a good way to to you know, endear the audience to you. <laughs> yes, he's brave. I think he has in he embraced his second act so well that people are like, we never want you to go away ever again. Whenever you want to pop pop up, wherever it happens, please we just enjoy your presence. So when he you know, looks in the mirror and combs his hair back with his hand. I mean, I don't think that anyone half our age would like look at that and go, oh, that's a funny joke because they would not have the reference to it. And yet it still works for the character. Oh, it totally does. Yeah. Cause he's, he's hapless and, 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 yeah, of course he's going to be you know, referencing stuff that, you know, no high school student at that time would care about <laughs> because he's like their dad. Yes. <laughs> and, he, and, he al- and he alternately tries to be you know, both stern and loving at the same time. Oh, my God. When he cups Sydney's face, I cringe. I cringe to the point that I look like that house in in uh, in Poltergeist. I just collapsed in <laughs> on myself. He's, he's waving the scissors around. At the end of oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's brilliant. Like, there's a lot of uh, uh, we, we might get dinged. But there's a lot to praise in this motion picture. We've we've handled uh, movies that we adore, and I would say even quite a few that we would hold up as, as absolute true classics. And here we're treading into territory where I don't find a ton of fault in this. And not that making fun of a movie requires you to find fault. But also, 
it's not full of the goofiest of details. There's one or two that that pop out, but it's not exactly a goof fest for us. No, and 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 I, you know, as much as this become a cliche in and of itself, uh, uh, I think it did. It certainly mark a, a a turning point in horror. Yeah. Um, like the the early to mid nineties for horror was pretty fucking dire. <laughs> and um and and you you were getting a lot of like straight to cable stuff, which was, you know, not particularly good because everybody thought that, you know, at that point the horror was all, you know, gore and boobs. Or you had the stuff that we covered with with Wolf and one of your favorites, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Right. The classy, they're, they're the classy stuff. Classy. Yeah. Like this isn't your this isn't your son and daughter's horror. This is for adults. We're gonna do adult things here, and 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 certainly, I would say I would categorize this along with. I, I would say this this counts as a horror comedy, not quite as overt as American World from London, which is another favorite of mine. But it is certainly, you know, obviously, I'm not making any you know, bold insight here. It's very, <laughs> it's very self aware. Yeah. But but not in a way that suggests that the people making this movie think the horror is stupid. No, no. I think that is uh, a those sort of one of those Hollywood always learns the wrong lesson situations that happens after Scream. Right. But within the universe of Scream, they act absolutely take the horror seriously. And it doesn't stop them from having characters make witty lines. Right. It, it's a it's a satire, but it's still a competently made movie at the same time. You're not you're not you're not talking like a Sharknado. Right. right, in, right. Wh- in which they're going out. Of, it's they're going out of their way for it to be as dumb as hell. <laughs> yes. So let's talk a little bit. We, we've started this entry point, but I think it all kind of comes back to Kevin Williamson because he's the person who sort of conceives of the donut here. And it's Wes Craven who makes it. And but uh, there are sort of two stories that Williamson points to as the impetus for this. The first one I remember from the director's commentary of Scream, which I first had on VHS, because this this movie came out in a two VHS set that you could buy in a decorative plexi plastic box that had. The re- the actual movie, and then one with the director's commentary on it. And I'm like, oh, this is everything I've ever wanted. <laughs> now I can have director's commentaries from Laserdisc, because what I have them on VHS. It'll never get any better than this. <laughs> no, it was all downhill from there in terms of technology. Uh, purchased on uh, the Universal City Walk, uh, because I was working at Universal uh, Hollywood at the time. And um, I poured over it like I was obsessed with it. And the story he tells in that one is uh, I was at a pub quiz. Uh, they were doing horror trivia. They asked who is the killer, the original killer in the first Friday the 13th. And I was the only one who knew it was Mrs. Voorhees. And that, it, you know, that gave me the idea of. If I'm this aware of horror movies, what would happen in that type of horror movie with characters who knew them as well as I did, or at least had an awareness of them? The second one is a deeper cut, and that is from a guy by the name of Danny Rowling, who was also known as the Gainesville Ripper, who actually did murder multiple people 
in a rather disturbing fashion. Uh, and I won't go over those details because they are supremely disturbing. And honestly, um, it has very little to do with the final product of the film, other than the fact that he felt like there hadn't been a movie that had incorporated slasher elements in quite some time. It had just gone out of favor and out of fashion. But what if you did one well? What would happen? Well, it's a rare slasher movie that, that kind of focuses on, you know, fear kind of overtaking the town. Whereas yeah. whereas in most movies, it's, it's a very, you know, enclosed area. You've got a, you've got a campground. You've got, yeah. you know, two houses directly across the street from each other. Right. Um, but this, like, a whole town is, is being impacted by this. And also, while recovering... From another murder, like the year prior. Right. Did you did you did you see this in the theater? I did. I okay. again on Universal City Walk. Uh, the weekend it opened. I don't believe on Friday night, but I believe on Saturday. I went with a group of other studio guides because I was still a studio guide at that point, and I went into it with just like, well, this looks fun, and I like horror movies, and I haven't seen one of these in a while. So I, I really didn't have any, pre- I didn't have, I hadn't even seen a trailer for it. I, I had seen the poster and that was about all the introduction I had to it. And the audience was jacked. Like they were plugged into this movie. It's one of those really great experiences where the audience is not there to, they're not better than the movie. They were just into it and they reacted as thus. And I, you know, that's the best kind of horror or comedy experiences you can have when everyone decides All right, it's not me time. It's movie time. I have, I have a, uh, an amusing anecdote about seeing it at the theater. I, I went to go see it with, um, with my then husband who was not, was not normally a, a horror fan, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason went to go see us anyway. And as you say, the audience was, was you know, very, very into it. And particularly mm-hmm. the, the, the extremely memorable, extremely well done opening scene. But as we're getting towards the end of the movie, and I am going to spoil it for anybody who's listening to this. Well, I'll partially spoil it. Okay. One of the killers is knocked out and presumed dead. And behind us are two uh, young gentlemen who are whispering back and forth. Evidently, they had already, one of them had already seen it. Oh. And loudly whispered to the other one, you know he's not dead, right? And- (laughs) My 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 then husband, who is a, a gentle but but large man, mm-hmm. uh, turned around, said at the top of his lungs, "Will you shut up?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and we did we did actually get a little you know smattering of Marine Todd applause. In the theater. <laughs> he's he's my Batman. Yeah, uh, and and he they I mean, he almost that to this day almost never raised his voice, but he had just kind of had it at that point because there's a difference between you know you know yeah and woo and oh my god a movie and then you're talking about everything that's happening on the screen and i i will never forget that to the end of my days my father-in-law's wife is um a a very nice woman in in a, a whole galaxy of respects but she's also one of those people who can't seem to follow movies or television series or <laughs> sporting events things happen and it's, it's like the first time she's ever seen drama it's like you wandered <laughs> into an amphitheater as aristotle is putting on a production and it's like wait a second there's three people who walk around and tell us what's happening is that always ha- what's going on is is this 
is this regular? Is this regular? <laughs> and she's always asking. Now they're the killers, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Are they-, they supposed to be running away? Yes, they don't want to die. What is about what it is about this? You find so why do they want to kill her? I, I don't know. I'm sure they'll tell us by the end. Of the movie. Yeah, like, I, there were some clues in the preceding hour and 15 minutes of this motion picture, but you know, I don't want to tell you your business. <laughs> so that sounds like she's, she's kind of, you know, for who Wikipedia plot descriptions are made for. Yes. Uh, yes. In many respects. Listen, um, you can get carried away in the visuals of a motion picture and lose details along the way. And not every film is so forthcoming with vital components of information that you need to follow along. But then again, the the remake of The In-Laws was not one of those movies. And she was confused by every element inside of it. Just... <laughs> Could not, for the life of her, follow the plot of this very simple remake buddy film. Yeah, but you know, I bet God, God love her. I bet if he showed her like Lost Highway, she'd be like, "Oh yeah, I can tell you what happened with that." <laughs> you don't know. The, listen, how do you this not, is exactly how do you, my speed. How are you not following this? This is completely linear. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I listen. It's going from point A to point B, and if you can't follow it, I don't know what to tell you. That guy doesn't have any eyebrows, and he can call himself. What do you want? <laughs> <laughs> Lost Highway. Oh my goodness! One of these days. One of these we'll days. We'll book it I guess. really, really ripped and just try to talk about it like we're in college or something. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think the other half of this donut, as you were right, the the hole in the donut. If we're if we're gonna go the knives out route, is Wes Craven, who up until this point had made a great name for himself in horror. He had obviously produced some genre classics and genuine classics. Like we've said, and for those who might not have caught up with those particular episodes, because people are always moving at their own pace and using the catalog to their own devices. But A Nightmare on Elm Street is not only a great horror movie, it is a great movie. It is fan-fucking-tastic. I agree. It's uh, it's unbelievable. And after that, he had some stumbles and we just talked about Shocker on the Patreon. And that, you know, it has its moments and it, it's definitely a, a movie worth watching. His aim there was to make a Freddy Krueger movie, not make another A Nightmare on Elm Street. So in that sense, it's very on target, but maybe not his scariest piece of cinema. And then he's trying to weave his political and philosophical messages into a lot of things. And while they're very, very good, they're not, they don't have the cultural impact of Nightmare. And so by the time he hits New Nightmare, he's finally been given a financial stake in it. He knows exactly the kind of movie he wants to make, which is a, a movie about how horror affects us and is participating in making one tangentially make you a participant in the horrors of the world, which is a big ask of an audience. Oh, yeah. And for me, it really, really works. I understand some that might might feel it is overhyped or too cerebral or just misses the mark or isn't what they wanted in a meal. But right around this time, he has an interview where he's hyping New Nightmare. And 
a per, you know, an interviewer asked him like, you know, what do you, you know, how do you feel about being one of the, you know, these masters of horror where, you know, people hear your name and they're expecting a certain type of film and you're known for all these scary movies and you kind of see this flash in front of his face of regret. Like he just can't believe, like he's coming to the realization. Oh yeah, I'm the horror guy. And even though I don't participate in the whole boobs and blood fair, I'm also a recipient of that audience. So whether or not I'm actually engaging in the kind of movies that I may not necessarily condone, I've made movies that gave those people those ideas. Right. Because certainly for, for, you know, 80s horror, you know, there was always this juggernaut of, of, you know, Wes Craven, John Carpenter, Toby Hooper, that everybody just kind of glommed together and just assumed yeah. they all made the same kind of movies. Yes. Even and- though, even though certainly, None of them really resorted to a lot of like gratuitous nudity or 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 anything like that. I mean, they're certainly no. violent, but not not you know, not in a way that I don't that I think particularly was misogynist or 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 you know gratuitous and you know in a way that so many so much seventies and eighties horror was. Yeah, at this point, I think he's feeling like I do need to break away from this. This has got to be my final statement on the subject. So when he's approached about what at the time was called scary movie. He's like, no way in hell. There's nothing about this that appeals to me. I'm not going back to that. Well, I've had my say. I'm certainly not doing a straight up slasher because technically he had not done a straight up slasher. While Nightmare is in that vein, it's so phantasmagorical on top of it that it's its own animal. And really shifted the dynamic of that genre on its own, on that film's axis. To the point where Friday the 13th is grasping to catch up to where it was in the lead. Now it's way behind. And it finds itself falling to the wayside while Nightmare and Child's Play overtake the landscape of slashers. So he gets the screen. He's like, no fucking way. You know, but I think that that ends up being the secret sauce of this movie. It's so well-directed and so perfectly cast. The amount of gloss added to his odd casting choices in that perfect 90s way, you know. Oh, my God. We we could just dedicate this entire episode to, to Skeet Ulrich's hair. Oh, my God. It's a character unto itself. Just to say the, and, and, and how he's got the perfect... Like anybody else, it would look like he's trying to do a Kubrick stare because he's his head is constantly tilted downward. But yeah, he, but it's just it's just to get that hair in his eyes and look a little you know look a little poetic. Look, you kind of look like he doesn't he, he doesn't care enough to fix his, get his hair out of his eyes, but you know he totally purposely puts his hair in his eyes. Yes, it makes him look soulful. It's that Tina Fey quote about Justin Bieber that his hair just knows where it wants to go. Exactly. He's got the t-shirt. Of course, you know when he got the when he was in this, you know, everybody's like, oh, he's baby Johnny Depp and. Again, he was cultivating that look you know, deliberately. Yes. He wants people to uh, view him through that lens because, A, he's doing a balancing act here as Billy. Because, and, and honestly, so is Stu 
for Matthew Lillard. Where- <laughs> <laughs> when I saw the movie, first movie, as as okay, I wasn't a teenager because I think yeah. I think we've established many times that we are really fucking old. Yes, I was like 20- the elder statesman of podcasting. Heart. I believe. Yeah. Is what we're, we're I was. I guess I would have been twenty three or twenty four when this came out, depending on what month it was. Um, yeah. But I found Matthew Lear's character to be insufferable. I agree. At the time, at the time, I was like doing a lot yeah he really is he's he's for one thing he's a little too old just 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 a tap a little too old to be a convincing high school student yeah and and he's got this like very very manic i'm constantly on energy and i agree with you and at the time that was but upon this rewatch i was really trying to see where their where the fulcrum point of their performances are because they have to do this thing where you can convincingly believe they're killers or they're just dumb teenagers. <laughs> right, right, right. And they're, and they're obviously two sides of the same coin. You've got you've got Billy, who's he's, he's just cool. That's the only word I can think yeah. of. And then you've got Stu, who's very, you know, very goofy. And, and so, you know, well, neither of them could possibly be the killer. I mean, look at them, you know, I mean, you know, Billy had you know, Billy has an alibi. Yeah. And, 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 and Stu, that's ridiculous. You know, you know, Stu's like a big, dumb kid. He really is. <laughs> and now <laughs> I'm like, now I'm like, I'm like, oh, he's kind of adorable. Let me, let me, let me pinch his cheek. Uh, and I think, I think and, and, and I think I carry on again, almost with the Henry Winkler thing where Matthew Lillard himself has, has endeared himself to me yeah. after yeah, yeah, a certain yeah. point. So mm-hmm. I think this might've been the first thing I ever saw him in. I think he found the lane that actually occupies both ends of it where he now still is Matthew Lillard, but he's Matthew Lillard that you can buy walking around near human beings. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And he also knows how to play a character that isn't Matthew Lillard. And that's the one thing that was, I think he was so convincing as Matthew Lillard early on that he, he just arrived with that package and like, well, here's the Matthew Lillard spot. And that eventually, for almost everyone, wears very thin. Right. And he found a way to actually corner that into, no, this is a human being who still has that affectation, but it's not Matthew Lillard every second. Right, exactly. Now, let's go back to, let's go back to the very beginning here, right? And the opening of this movie with that font. That oh my god, there is no more '90s font than the Scream front title card here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's no there's no more '90s uh, uh, production company card than Dimension Films. <sighs> the less said about <laughs> the two absolute raging, terrible asshole people who ran Dimension Films and conversely Miramax, the better. This is also the this is this movie makes uh, a particular monster out of this crew because in the aftermath of it, they become convinced we and they point at themselves and I will not name them because I don't have a fucking desire to even give voice to their. You can you can look it up in, you can look it up on Wikipedia if you need. Yeah to. yeah, if you want to, uh, just pro- I promise you, <laughs> they're terrible people. They point at themselves and and anoint themselves the kings of horror. We know how to do horror. We are the horror people. 
If you want to do horror, we're doing it here and we will tell you how to do it. And they go about fucking up, buying and hiding all sorts of horror movies (laughs) over the course of the next 20 plus years. And they never are able to make a horror movie on the level of Scream again, primarily because they stick their fucking fingers in everything. Right. And with that, we wash our hands of that pair and we turn (laughs) to the best producer that Scream ever encountered. You might know her better as the host of the Drew Barrymore show. Why? It's Drew Barrymore. That's right. Drew Barrymore is the best producer of Scream ever. And and my only complaint about this entire movie is she's not wearing a great wig. It's (laughs) not a good wig. It's not a good wig. But that's what that's it. Other other than that, this is an almost flawless movie for me. (laughs) Uh, I will give them prompts for trying to differentiate all these white people because we have encountered so many of these movies where it just seems like they come out of a mold press. And you're like, I can't tell the difference between any of these people. They're just so homogenous in so many ways. And at least there's a bare attempt here to cast people who are all incredibly symmetrical, but also different from one another. So the deal with Drew Barrymore is that she was originally cast as Sydney. And the farther she got into the process, a couple of things happened. Her career took an incredible upturn. And she got busier and busier with higher and higher profile films, including films that she would produce personally. Secondly, as a result of that, her schedule was wildly out of control. And she looks at this thing and says, you know what we ought to do? We ought to kill off. I ought to switch characters to this cold open character. And you put me on the front of every poster. I don't care how you use my image. You can make me the face of it. You can make me one of many faces. It doesn't matter. So long as you give the audience the impression that I'm in this movie for the long haul. And that's what exactly what they did. So when people showed up to the theater, they had no understanding that she would only be on screen for the opening of this film. Yeah. And and it's a perfect, and it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's psycho basically. Yes, Yes, it is. Psycho is the perfect comparison. Only they speed up the process from like half a movie to just the cold open. Janet Lee's character is like someone we've learned information about. Like we've seen her at work. We've seen her boyfriend. We know what her predicament is. We don't know dick about Casey. You you, you know, she's yeah, a she, girl. She, she fudges around a little bit and tells, tells her the anonymous phone call. She doesn't have a boyfriend when she does, yeah. which is, which is, a, which is, you know, a nice little dig at, at, at uh, you know, these kinds of movies punishing quote unquote bad girls. Well, that is the other thing. There are a couple components here that, that make this film particularly prescient, but one of them is its relationship to, to misogyny. Like it's, it's, there's a real actual dialogue in this film about how people in this town and men and boys in this town define themselves by defining women. It is wild. But let us let us get back specifically to Casey's character before we move on to that, because it's a pretty grand point. 
the one of the things we establish about Casey is she feels very safe in the environment she's in. That house is gigantic, and there's about twelve ways into it. <laughs> yeah. And you, what you're seeing there is what I love in a good horror film, where you lay the groundwork by just watching. You know, here you're watching a, an actor give a performance, and what is essentially a monologue, a scene with someone they cannot see and they can't interact with. And it's her comfort level with where she's at that relaxes an audience and then lulls you into, oh, fuck, she's going to die. It's kind of crazy how well she accomplishes this task, given how wild an ask that it is. It's certainly, in, again, in the, in the, the uh, BC era of not having caller ID on phones, yeah. I, it's kind of funny. Are you, do you get to the point now, and it doesn't necessarily cut down on my enjoyment of watching old horror movies from 1996, <laughs> but let's say pre- <laughs> Pre two thousand yeah. horror movies. Do you ever think? Well, you know, now that we have smartphones. That wouldn't happen anymore. Yeah, too. I mean, it is weird how much that singular technology forces everyone to have to find a way around it. And the prevalent thing is my my the battery on my phone ran out, or I don't have any coverage here. Right, but even the coverage thing—that's that's kind of becoming a thing of the past too. Like you had to yeah. be, like, you have to be like way, way, way out in the middle of nowhere to not even be able to get a single bar at this point. Yes. But my point being is that is that I'm not sure if it, the youth today, you know, get get the effectiveness of having no choice but to answer a phone because you don't know who it might be. Right. Yeah. Yes. I don't know if this is how is she? Cause she is at her own home. Is she babysitting? No, she. So she really does have doesn't really have any particular reason to have to answer the phone, except to thinking, assuming that it might be her parents checking I in think on she's, her. Right, she's just taking advantage of the fact that her parents are out for the evening, and then maybe she can get some light, you know, over the clothes action on the couch while watching a scary movie until they come home. Right, right, and right. So it, you know, it's relatively innocent for the most part, and um, it is that thing of her being in and that gets back to the the sort of ghost face tactic here um coming back to your point where they use that element of women have to be nice against them right right exactly i mean she's trying to be a little flirty and and i mean to me i'm like no hang up the phone just just hang up the phone please <laughs> God, hang up the phone don't pick yeah. it up again but some people might be you know you know, kind of think, oh, it's fun. I was messing with this guy for a few minutes. And he's probably calling from another state or something. Right. And, and another anecdote when I saw it in the theater was when she goes, uh, when she asks, why do you want to know my name? She's because I want to know what I'm looking at. Like the air just sucked out of the theater. Like, like, <gasps> <laughs> like you could hear it. You're like, oh, shit. <laughs> and I, I think probably for, for our, uh, again, we're laying this all at the feet, but. I do wonder for the younger generations watching this movie, if they don't somewhat akin to like Jaws, where all the tropes of shark movies are really referencing like Jaws made that road. It didn't exist before. Like you would all, you would only have Moby Dick as a reference point before Jaws. So while now you go, well, of course the head's going to pop out of that boat. But you wouldn't have had that without Jaws. So right. We, 
So I, I have to feel like there's a lot of people who watch Scream and they're kind of like, really? Because they've seen the watered down versions, the reference points used that are originated here. Right. And- I do. As great as this movie is, I do feel like yeah, if you're if you're only just getting around to watching it now, that some of the impact is going to be a little bit lost. Because, like I said, I cannot emphasize enough that the the early to mid '90s, and for me at least, into the late '90s, was just tumbleweeds flowing around for horror. It just was not good. It, it yeah. really wasn't. And then this was just such a, a, a shot of juice. Just you know, somebody tried to revive this, and, and, it, and it took a little while to to I think really get back on its feet. But it, 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 there's an appreciation there that that it, it had been lacking for a while. Very much so. And then, of course, because Hollywood then learns all the wrong lessons. They then take this, and it's the same thing with Clueless. I think Scream and Clueless are running on parallel tracks because they're both reviving youth genre films, and they do it so well. And everyone looks at it and go, "We should hire pretty people from television." Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> we should, you know, we should hire them. Just make no attempt to engage them to the with the audience, and then just have them all killed off immediately. Yes, and let's throw some CGI blood in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fucking CGI blood's the worst. I, this one, of course, has the guts to actually have guts. Oh yeah, it's I mean, br- the, it's brutal. It is brutal. Like there is a lot going on in this cold open, and uh, it all comes down to Drew Barrymore's performance and the ability to build an action sequence around suspense and payoff that isn't just jump scares. Although there are jump scares, like there, it's not a bad technique. You just can't only have cat scares. You can't only have closet doors. But when you use them the right way, like it, it it's kind of magic, man. It's like anyone can make a hamburger, but you taste a really good one. And you're like, fuck, why am I <laughs> fucking around with these shitty hamburgers? Exactly. <laughs> this is prime KNB effects group stuff. Like the blood looks like blood. The guts look like guts. And because you inherently like Drew Barrymore, you don't want to see her die. Like I don't give a fuck about Steve. Steve looks like a load, if I'm being honest. Yeah, Steve doesn't even. Steve gets like a few like grunts through a through a through you know, a taped mouth. He doesn't get to. Uh, he doesn't get to say much. Listen, I don't know exactly what I would do in this situation, but there's a lot of looking like through his eyes, like why are you doing this to me at Drew Barrymore? When it's like, well, she's not the one fucking doing it to you, dude. Why don't you know it's Mrs. Voorhees? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, come on, if you let me down like that, I mean, I would just definitely be looking at you, you pleadingly before I could gut it right in front of you. <laughs> but when his guts pour out, like that's real, that's that's visceral. And, and apparently that's what earned, you know, that and Drew Barrymore being hung up on a tree, which talk about Friday the 13th references. How the fuck do either of those teens... <laughs> Hoist her up. While her parents are, are looking around the house for her. They're so busy with like their with their curb appeal. Like, oh, I love how these are coming in. <laughs> <laughs> They're beautiful. I love this pantsuit. Let's have a martini. <laughs> um, Why is our house filled with smoke? Oh, it's Casey. They're a little slow on the uptake. I do wish they kind of at least pointed to like, maybe they're drunk. 
you know, because that would explain a lot of their reaction. Yeah, of course, I'm thinking of um, student bodies. <laughs> the dad buys a piece of chicken and tapes back <laughs> again, again student slowly- bodies, two thirds of the greatest movie ever made, let down yeah, by the last third. They're just slowly, uh, painstakingly making their way upstairs to find the dead body. <laughs> Constantly touching gum. <laughs> Who put all this gum here? I listen to student bodies, everybody. Watch it's, student bodies. It's well so good. I love it's, it. <laughs> when anyone else brings up student bodies, I just lay out the talking during horsehead bookends <laughs> and uh, oh, I'll answer the phone. I'm the farthest from the room. I'm the farthest one from it. That makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> like, this is such a fucking throwaway. Oh, God. Student bodies. <laughs> so, yeah, how they hoist her up there is beyond me. I, again, we've, we're 40 minutes into this. We have not moved past the cold open. We're, we're in blank check territory here. We're not even doing the whole movie. I love that this entire sequence is timed by that Jiffy Pop. Like, it's genius that the tension expands as the Jiffy Pop builds and gets hotter and hotter. And the steam's coming out the top. And it's bulging. Now it's smoking. Now it's on fire. Now the stove is on fire. Now the kitchen is on fire. Like, oh, my God. It's great because it it's telling you that things are increasing beyond the mere... She's being chased by a maniac killer who, you know, up until this point could just be fooling up until the point Steve gets gutted. Or is that a joke? You don't know. Are you in an April Fool's Day situation? Right, exactly. Highly recommend. Maybe not as much as student bodies. (laughs) (laughs) What God graced us for motion pictures. I think that I think that uh, that Scream is by far the the much more competently made movie. But but student bodies makes me laugh more. (laughs) Sure. In terms of pure comedic uh, uh, displays. Yeah. Student bodies. Well, student bodies is also trying harder. Like it's a machine gun. This is a sniper. Right. Exactly. That's when a good it comes to it. jokes. Let's talk about really what come what we're here to talk about. And that is the world's biggest Indigo Girls fan. Sydney Prescott. <laughs> Um, I was I was hoping that we were going to get a weird detail in a teenager's bedroom, and boy, did we get it. I mean, listen, I love Indigo Girls. You love Indigo Girls. Does Sydney love Indigo Girls? Yeah, Don't I'm trying you? to think. I'm trying to think of what a teenager in 1996 would have would have been into, and 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 I don't think it was the Indigo Girls. Uh, maybe she was just into folk rock revivals. You know, I mean, I could see Fiona Apple. I could, you know, I could see. Yeah. So, certainly see Tori Amos. I don't, I don't know about the Indigo Girl. That's going to be a hard sell for me. It would be. But I also think a lot of those things are cresting right at the moment that this movie is being made. Because like Shadow Boxer is like released like that year. <laughs> it is very, very close. Maybe it's 94. Is Shadow Boxer 94? No, it's 96, I think. Really? I think so. Man, I was ahead of the fucking curve on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Tori Amos, all, all of that stuff is very, because in 97, you would have gone, oh, there's a whole host of acts that she would have been into more than Indigo Girl. But also, if you're a teenager of that age, like maybe it's a concert that her mom took her to. You don't really know. Like, that's, is she, that's true. 
And of course, we get to see something I love to see in movies, want to see in more movies, nightgowns. <laughs> love nightgowns. I mean, yeah, so she's wearing a granny gown. I have no I, I, I have no problem with that. They're very comfy. And yeah, she's doing uh, homework on that primordial computer. That green on black computer. <laughs> that we will learn is hooked up to the internet so that she might make phone calls to 911 on it. Yeah, I remember one time I was like, can you do that? <laughs> I'm trying to remember. I, 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 oh, it's uh, um, our friend from uh, from my neighbors are dead. Um, his, his favorite thing was like watching the net and going, man, one of these days I'm going to be able to order pizza over the Internet. Like, can you imagine? <laughs> Will it ever get any better than that? Into this scene, we have uh, Billy. And he arrives with a pitch, his penis. <laughs> so somebody posted on Twitter the other day uh, a really great thing. It said, "It said all 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 boyfriends in horror like you're, you, you've been such a bitch ever since your mom died yesterday." <laughs> <laughs> and that is definitely a trope. It you, really you, is. You've got Scream. You've got a, a big one for you know more recent Midsummer. Uh-huh. Where like the, her entire family is decimated, and he's just like, I don't know, why I just can't get over this. <laughs> like, it's been three months. <laughs> I mean, come since, on, since your sister murdered your parents, then killed herself. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, when what do you do? To- do you expect me to do like you know comfort you? I mean, my God, I'm just your boyfriend. Yeah, like I I know you're hurting. You know who else is hurting? My penis. <laughs> <laughs> that is- it's feeling very neglected. Thank you very much. <laughs> what about me and my penis's needs? <laughs> listen, I listen. I'm being comforting. I I feel your pain, but also I'd like you to feel my penis <laughs> at various stages, and maybe all the way up into completion. Like we could start there. <laughs> this brings up a question because. Um, <laughs> We've never done, we've never danced around spoilers before. So I don't know why we would do that. Now, if you've reached this point, this, this movie is, this, this movie screen, is, this movie is 20, almost 25 years old. Come on yeah. now. What do you it's mean? Ti- it is time for you to watch screen, pause it, come back. That's how electronics work. We're still going to be here. Um, rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, Gina works for the spool. We're on Twitter. You know, all that stuff. Like come back to us, watch screen and then come back. So here we go. Um, we learn that Billy has killed Sydney's mom. So did he think that that would be an entree to getting laid 24 seven? Cause that is amongst the dumbest fucking ideas I've ever heard in my life. I, I mean, clearly he got the idea, the impression somewhere that, that if you were, if, you know, if you're, but she's supposed to be like 16, maybe that your, yeah. your, your, your 16 year old girlfriend, her mother is, Horrendously murdered and raped. Yeah. Let, let, let's let's not mention that. Let's not forget that. Yeah. That that you know, she will want to do it more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, uh, I, 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 uh, I guess. I mean, <laughs> that's not my. I mean, death is not my primary motivator, but but I guess it's what works for some people. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why he felt that would, quote unquote, loosen her up or whatever his little spiel is when he goes, we started out at an R and we were headed to NC-17. And now I feel like we're just kind of 
edited for television. And then your mom died. And what about my penis, Sydney? <laughs> Just might remind you, my penis is still very committed to this relationship, but you don't seem committed at all to my penis. <laughs> And so that comes back to this movie's relationship to women and how all of the men in it automatically uh, attribute a, a very defined lane to any woman they encounter. They are either the girlfriend or just a girl or she's only hot because she's on television or, you know, she's a slut. And it's like, what we gotta get off this fucking slut thing it is so ill-defined it just doesn't make any goddamn sense well yeah and and certainly that that is very uh that you know particularly lands when we get on the subject of sydney's mother Mm -hmm. who you know apparently like to sleep around yeah yeah which which you probably shouldn't do that in a small town because yeah, yeah. because I mean, you know people tend to notice those kinds of things and 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 talk about it you know that's why they uh-huh. have you know no tell motels as they're called like do they still call them that i guess you know, yeah like out on the highway you know you, you don't just bounce around from you know person to person in your tiny little town right sleeping with these people but people are kind of a little almost about to say that she had it coming and, yes. and, and and I don't mean you know, just Billy, because again, as as a spoiler, um, uh, Sydney's mom was sleeping with Billy's dad at some point. Yes. But I mean, her her closest friend Tatum, we haven't gotten to yet, uh, because she is played by a crazy person, <laughs> a crazy person who's was partially made crazy. Well, so yes, that that's not entirely something one hundred percent on her. You know, which and then that that ties own. back that ties back into the terrible people involved in producing this movie. But we won't get mm. into that because that's a bummer. But even she's kind of like, well, you know. Yeah. People are talking. Oh, I didn't mean it like that. And it's like, and it's like, well, then why did you bring it up? And 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 Sydney is just kind of chill about it. Like, yeah, I, I've had this conversation with people already plenty of times, and she's like, you know, I'm not even going to like dignify it with a response. You well, she can't do anything about it. And the per- the only person who could possibly actually defend against it or admit to it was brutally murdered. So. She's left with the aftermath. I mean, this comes down to one of my grand theories on slasher movies in particular, in that it is from the standpoint of youth is scary, that young people will outlive you. They have the power of time on their side. And now in the 90s, they have fucking cable. It's the worst. (laughs) It's a terrible combination. And so... Because they have that power of almost immortality in comparison to anyone older than them. That that is a part of the horror that comes across, particularly in the late 90s. Because everyone, here's another old person note. Just put Grandpa Simpson yells at Cloud right here. When the Berlin Wall fell, America is kind of left without a faceless other to project all its fears on. And so everyone immediately turns on each other and they start aiming anything they got at anyone near them. In my estimation, this is why Scream and X-Files captured that moment in time because the enemy is no longer on the other side of the world anymore. In order to create fear and shit, you know, politicians and the media have to start pointing the finger at right next to you. 
oh my god you live next door to pure evil and like america being america fucking freaks out and yeah. a moment in time which they're no longer under nuclear threat and and we still you know unfortunately you have that mindset of you have to be constantly watching what your neighbors are doing yes you know for for a while after after 9-11 we came together and and watched our brown neighbors were doing so that was a good moment for america yeah. we really you know we, we we came together to be as 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 racist as possible yes. and then everything you know fell apart again now we're just kind of pointing fingers at each other is one of those things we're going to have to fucking get past like people are basically it comes down to their 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 actions and their active support. If it's words and active support of evil, yeah, you're going to get painted with that fucking brush. Like this is, I think this movie is prescient as hell because in addition to this component, you now, you also have the weaponized geekery of Randy. <laughs> you know, I, I and it's kind of crosses over with our, uh, our our fade to black episode. Oh, I mean, this this was like perfect. Like yeah. it could not have been more perfect that you put these things back to back. I'm not a genius. The cards just laid out that way from the tar- from the tarot deck. Well, basically, uh, uh, Eric Benford would have been uh, Randy would have been Eric Benford. He didn't have any friends. Yes. And when Hollywood learns the wrong lesson, I think there's a lot of movie fans who also learned the wrong oh, lessons. For sure. of Randy. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they don't get that the movie is making fun of him. No. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and I, of course, I watched it thinking, do I act like that? You know, I feel like I should go home, get my finest and grave stationery and write my heart. I am so heartily sorry for, ju- <laughs> for judging your movie choices. <laughs> and I mean, I know I've taken the hit of saying it's okay to like a movie and that it's okay if you like something that I don't and I do and I don't like something you do. Like, it, it's, it's okay. Like, there's enough movies. Oh, it's there was fun. definitely a time where I was like that. Yeah. And and I can't say for certain that this kind of snapped me out of it. But I don't think, it was definitely something in my early 20s that I got over by the time I was in my late 20s. So yes. clearly that, you know, there, there, there was some sort of, that, that was, you know, some, you know, part of it was could be attributed to that. Because he, he, was, he was treated like as such a, yeah, not not a buffoon, but just somebody who's just very obnoxious and and doesn't really seem to have much of a personality. Oh, then he's kind of a hanger on. Yeah, you desperately wanting any any crumb of affection Sydney can throw at him. And the fact that he that he calls Stu a lapdog, which is both accurate and projection. Right, but doesn't like he he doesn't know how to speak at anything but like movie references. Yeah, which which again, as we mentioned. And in, in, in fade to black is something a lot of people still do now. In fact, I would say it's worse than ever with, with the, the the advent of the Internet, where that's like your entire personality. It goes part and parcel with memes. I direct you to I direct you to hashtag film Twitter, yeah. for instance. Randy is fucking hashtag film Twitter. Yeah, he is film Twitter on two. Oh, fucking oh he's legs. got so many hot takes, man. Oh. So many hot takes. He he loves those. He loves those unpopular opinion memes. Yes, he does. And his 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 opinions are always unpopular. <laughs> Everywhere he goes, cartoon swords are aimed at his face, <laughs> and they should be. And one of them should put him out of his misery. And luckily, Scream Two has the guts to do it. Spoilers. 
for Scream 2, we're in the spoiler zone, baby. He shouldn't have lived. Frankly. <laughs> he shouldn't have lived. <laughs> he just shouldn't have lived. But, but I feel like that's playing with the audience's expectation, though. Yes. Where, you know, he's kind of the, the I mean, well, I mean, he and Stu kind of, you know, play the same, you know, jokester role. Mm-hmm. But in, normally in movies like that, he would have been killed probably yes. pretty early on. No, he should have gone like almost. But he, but he wasn't. You know, he, he, you know, which I think is something that the audience did not expect to, to see happen. Yeah, and then because they, there's, they're keeping him around for those fucking horror rules, and we'll get to decimating the stupid fucking horror rules that this movie put into people's heads. Because <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ, I saw another one saying like when sexually active teens you know go down to the lake and the jason's like oh i'm gonna head on over there i'm like fucking they're not teens god damn it watch (laughs) the movies just try them try watching them they are commercially available oh and see and there i go now i'm randy now i'm that guy like i'm surprised that incels haven't latched onto ghostface as an icon because it's so part and parcel of how I deserve, like, we're going back to, have you considered my penis t- territory? <laughs> and it all comes down to that. Like, they're all, wa- all of them are waiting for their penis to be recognized as the best one in the room. And why haven't you touched it yet? I mean, your mom died over a year ago. It's, Get over it. Jesus Christ. Man, like, look, I can't be actually, the only one touching my penis in this relationship, and I'm touching it all the time. <laughs> I mean, you know, imagine like actually saying that to a person in real life. I don't know. <laughs> You've been mourning your parent for too long. Oh my your god! Your brutally murdered parent, <laughs> who you might have seen actually get killed in front of you, or certainly the the aftermath. Yes, like you were you were minutes away from maybe being able to call the police or trying to do something. Like she is carrying around with her a lot of guilt and then taking on everything that everyone else says about her mother, which brings us to the only woman in this motion picture or character for that matter, with the audacity to wear a neon green suit. And then it's Gail motherfucking Weathers. She's so loathsome. So loathsome. <laughs> and so joyful about it. Like there's a glee to what's her happening. Har- her horrible little choppy bangs. <laughs> Ooh, well, they'll only get choppier, Gina. Let's not <laughs> jump the gun. This may be her best like, hair in the entire franchise. She's like like uh, Fr- Freddie Lowndes and Hannibal level loathsome. Yes. But I, I feel like there's the other component that sort of rises above the Freddie Lounzes of the world is that Courtney Cox is a gifted fucking comedian and she nails lines just left and right like a goddamn assassin. She just kills it over and over and over again. And it makes you vacillate between this person is hateful. This person is wrong, manipulative, uh, just the scum of the earth. But also, she makes me laugh. And that's that's her razor blade to ride in this thing. And she does a great fucking job at hating her. Like, that is not just a byproduct of the script and the direction. It is an active choice that she is making 
in this film. Right. I mean, she does, she does it well. Cause holy shit. <laughs> One point she's confronted by Sydney. She's like, basically you, you put an innocent man in jail because you couldn't confront the fact that your mom was sleeping around town. That's what it comes down to. And she's like, you may want to consider like that you were wrong and you did a terrible thing. The terrible thing happened to you, but you also did a terrible thing. And she's so giddy that she finally got to say this to Sydney. And she's like, Oh my God, maybe these murders are connected. I can get an innocent man off a death row. And then it cuts to the cameraman. He was like, oh, my God, we're going to get to do a good thing. (laughs) Courtney Cox looks him dead in the eye and goes, do you know what that will do for my book sales? And it's just perfect. It's It's perfectly edited. It's perfectly laid out. It's nailed in performance. I can't get enough of Courtney Cox in this movie. Honestly, it I think it both created and killed a movie career for her. Because I'm not sure you can see her in the movie screens on the same level of this. Because this allows her to do so much. And so many movies would have forced her to be a wife, a girlfriend. Right. And, and again, uh, you know, subverting audience expectations, she survives to the end Spoiler of this. Spoiler alert. Oh, my God. The the line, it's called tact, you fuck rag. You put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, this kind of plays around a little bit with, would these people actually be friends in real life? <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then again, I mean, Gina, I, I'm, I'm, I had a, a reasonably healthy group of friends towards the latter half of my high school years. But coming out of middle school and into high school, I was friends with genuine fucking assholes because, A, for some reason, they tolerated me enough until the point where they said, we don't hang out with you anymore. <laughs> Just like sophomore year, they're like, fu- I don't want to got- fucking see your face. We, we all we all we all get fired from our from our <laughs> friends group sometimes. Best thing that ever happened to me. Can't say it wasn't painful, but you know what? I needed to A. Learned that I was a bit of a randy. And two, that I could have other friends. And that allowed me that for the rest of my life, I could go, you know what? Maybe I'll make other friends. And every time I have, it is pretty much paid off. But in the assholes in high school exist. Like, it's not rocket science. But there is an element to some of these lines that if... You Kevin Williamson writes it and you go, oh, he's a bit witty, too witty by half. And Di- Diablo Cody writes it and it's like, well, that you no know, human being on Earth. Well, my, my main issue is, is I don't think that everybody seems to be like shockingly insensitive to, to the fact that her mother was murdered. Like it's everybody been a year. Everyone's got their penis in quotes that they're waiting for Sydney to touch here. And just get past the but song. like everybody is just sort of you know dismissive of it and and you know certainly people her age and and I, I don't know if like I, when I was a teenager I don't think I I've never you know was close to anyone who experienced that level of loss mm-hmm. and yeah. I don't know maybe, maybe kids are just kind of weird sort of assholes about that kind of thing. <laughs> 
and they don't actually know like you know tact and sensitivity but everybody's like yeah oh this is just like oh wait oh you're standing right there i'm sorry it's like you know it's not that hard for you to not constantly bring this up to her you know on the other hand i mean that is something you we we talked about uh to go back to another one is um scream for help yeah, yeah. When when oh. like her her best friend gets turned to road pizza right in front of her, <laughs> and 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 her her parents were like her, her parents were like oh that's a shame. Well, we have to go out to the Rotary Club dinner, so you just you know, just, order, just order yourself a Chinese for 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 dinner or something. You 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 good? You don't need us here. Okay, I, I really okay. do. You experienced a horrific trauma, but but you know we we've got some like glad handy we have to do. Yeah, honestly, like these used cars aren't going to sell themselves. <laughs> we're gonna get out of the house. But everybody's <laughs> like, yeah, that's sad. and and you know and that's you know, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. They, yes. you know someone get, their classmate gets murdered. Everybody goes to school the next day. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, wait, don't you all usually close schools? Yeah. Day At least this like movie this has has the wherewithal that when bodies start piling up early on, they're like, we should not have people come back to school. This is obviously not a safe space. <laughs> so I feel I feel like that might even a pointed observation about that trope in that you know nobody handles these situations like actual compassionate human beings. Yes. Well, and it's also serving a different master here and one that it should be discussed, which is this uh, movie is not only uh, going back to slashers, but specifically whodunit slashers, which was a real thing early on. And and Halloween is not that. Halloween is a pure thriller in which you see through a killer's eyes and he's coming for you and you're trying to outwit him. It's straight up wait until dark. Whereas when you start getting into the 80s and you hit Friday the 13th and this movie name checks it, Prom Night. Oh, yeah, totally. And happy birthday to me. One of our favorites is definitely in the vein of whodunit. The Initiation is another one that's a huge whodunit. Sweet 16. And most of them are bad at red herrings and i think what this movie is trying to do is course correct on that which is to say that if someone is a terrible person it makes you more likely to think they're they have it within them to be the killer here the problem with prom using prom night as a point is is it both makes randy right in that it is an attempting to be a whodunit slasher but also wrong because prom night is great at creating red herrings and terrible at paying any of that shit off. Right. Exactly. It's just the worst at it. And it spends the vast majority of its runtime setting up people who will never pay off, including Leslie Nielsen, who dances the herky jerky like his limbs don't fully attach to his body to disco music. And then we never see his ass again. It turns out, spoiler for prom night, his fucking kid's the killer. He doesn't even show up at the end. Yeah, and, and you barely remember who he was. So it's like, you have to really have to strain hard. And then and then it's like, oh, right, it's that guy. Yeah. Up until this point, he's just the weird brother who watches his sister get dressed in her bra. Like, all right, there's comfortable. And then there's like, you don't want to, like, if you're looking at Jamie Lee Curtis in a bra, like, that's going to pull your attention like allow her to dress asshole uh that's my hot take on prom night (laughs) (laughs) 
the movie that in which you will believe that Jamie Lee Curtis went bra shopping. So my question here when it comes to, because we could go through the whole, you know, action sequence here of Sydney being attacked in her house, which is, again, another gigantic home in which she says, idiots run up the stairs when they should be running out the door and then runs up the stairs because <laughs> the door's fucking blocked. And then you have the setup for the, the, the closet door, both upstairs and down. When she opens the closet door, nothing's there during the daytime. And then at night, when she comes back in from the porch, that's where Ghostface has been hiding this entire time. And it establishes her as being physically capable of fighting back and Ghostface physically capable of getting his ass kicked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you can definitely tell this is not a, a supernatural being. He 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 falls down. He takes his head. He lets a little you know grunts and ouches and all when when, yeah. when he gets hit. I think that's goddamn genius. Honestly, groundbreaking. Because there's so much of this genre that is built upon someone who cannot feel pain. They're all Michael Myers's. Is, is, is. Or they're, or, they're, or they're like a variation on the backwards mutant. Yes. Or they're, su- they're such criminal geniuses that they're never, ever touched or detected. And here it's like, well, this guy almost got caught by parents. Like this guy almost gets caught by Dewey, like the worst fucking cop on the face <laughs> of the planet. Oh, I love Dewey. I, I will admit that I am perhaps not David Arquette's greatest, you know, fan. That being said, there's a real piece of acting being done here where he accepts the role that he's been given. And he is trying to make them a meal out of it to the point in which his sister is like, you're a fucking dork. And he's like, you, you remember what mom said. When I wear this badge, you treat me like a man. <laughs> That's a line in this movie. I like, I like That's my superior. The Chad is your superior. <laughs> God, it's great. It's uh, spoiler alert. We like this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you don't want to hear us gushing over something, you might want to like skip over the next couple episodes. Don't download them and just don't listen to them. Exactly. Yeah, them. we can, we need we still need the numbers, but you yeah. don't have to listen if you if you. you, you uh, people seem to go either way. People either love when we like just you know, rip into something or they don't like it. Yeah. Yeah, podcast listeners are are a fickle bunch. They are. And four years into this, we still don't know what makes a great kill by kill movie. (laughs) Another real. I mean, we all we all know the answer. The answer is fear no evil. But our listeners said, yeah, no, we're good. We don't have any interest in this obscure 1981 demonic possession movie. In which the devil wears a nightgown and a man develops boobs and kills himself. Sorry. <laughs> when you put that way, it sounds stupid. <laughs> Sorry, the brother of Nellie Olson. <laughs> oh my God. That movie is fantastic. If you love Mikey, you will love Fear No Evil. I promise you. Check it out. <laughs> what were we talking about again? Oh, yeah, Scream. <laughs> a movie many people enjoyed. Yes. Yeah, I double checked. This was released in fucking December. Oh yeah, this was the, a the audacity of, re- of releasing a slasher movie during the holiday season. That 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 I love it. I love it. And this is one of those movies that landed in theaters and pulled like twenty one, twenty three million dollars. And people were like, "Whoa, whoa, that that's counter programming." Like 
all of a sudden teens and young adults are like, well, I don't want to see a Santa movie, you know? Like literally I, a week before Christmas. Yes. It, it was released. And people are like, uh, uh, yeah, I'd much rather see a whole, what seems to be a cool horror movie. And it built. It's one of those movies like Titanic a year later where it would continue to make a set num you know, set amount of money where it just weekend after weekend after weekend it would just make double digits amount of money. Well also it, it, it really sustained itself and again this is I mean the internet was around but not not the thing it is today not nearly so many still, people didn't have access to it even Right. It's it still it still depended largely on literal you know Telling other people, you know, with your human mouth that you should go, <laughs> that you should go see, uh, that you should go see this movie called Scream. Or, or if you're the devil kid from from Fear No Evil, you're in human mouth. Whatever mouth yeah, you have you access do that to. Too. Or if you're Danny Torrance, your finger. <laughs> have you watched The Haunting of Blind Manor? It, <laughs> it's so heartfelt. Um, <laughs> There's been Danny Torrance reviews, our new bit on Kill by Kill. It's Netflix overrated trash. Just net, just Netflix written backwards and on the door. <laughs> Danny, you have to know how to control The Shining. You also have to know that you can access Peacock even without a subscription. You just have to watch commercials. So, um, <laughs> oh my God. If you were waiting for our minds to be broken, it happened. It happened in a movie that the movie is not breaking our minds. We're breaking each other's. So 2020 is, is, it has a lot to do with that too. Yeah. That, that has a lot. We, 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 we laugh to keep from screaming. <laughs> we are, we are, we are, we are currently recording this in favor of, uh, so we do not have to be forced to watch the vice presidential debate. Yes. Which I hope is going well for one person. And I, I hope that dickhead who calls his own wife, mother is just really soiling himself right now. I, it's probably a middling affair, but I won't get into that. Let's talk about someone who makes the most of their opportunity. And that is the cheerleader in the bathroom. Leonora <laughs> Scleffo, uh, I believe her name. She was in three movies, including this one. And she gives a two-minute monologue that it, like, why, why didn't she have a fucking career? Like, that's good <laughs> acting. That's a memorable little bit that she's doing there. She's good at it. Like, I want to see more of this woman. What, why was I denied? <laughs> then again, talented actresses giving up on the business after appearing in a Miramax slash dimension film. Not unusual. And Regret regrettably. Regrettably. Boots is a clue. We haven't seen Boots as a clue since Friday the 13th. Like, that's a deep fucking cut. Yeah, that is. Yeah. It's just not. We don't see it every day. We completely missed. Um, were they calling? They weren't calling them Easter eggs back then, were they? Yeah. No. Mm, I think we're on the verge of Easter eggs. Okay. I, I can remember that term being used on a certain website also run by a sex maniac. Um. <laughs> It's just a lot of fucking sex maniacs, right? There's just yeah, too fucking yeah. many. Yeah, there's, there's, it, it, it's a problem. It really fucking is. 
All right. Um, so let's, let's talk about someone who is an impeccable human being. I'm sure he has faults, but I've never been party to them. Henry Winkler um, and his in his denouement. Uh, he announces to the entire school that there will be a curfew put in in place at 9 p.m. tonight. 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 <laughs> it's a very interesting line rating. Uh, he will go on to be murdered in his own office, but not before we get to see Wes Craven in a Freddy Krueger sweater. And I'm just going to come right out and say this. We don't need that. No, I, that's a little. We also kind of we also kind of didn't need Casey saying that, oh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street was good. The rest of the wall. So I said, yeah, Wes, we know. Uh, yeah, we know, no, Wes. No, no. <laughs> they ripped you off. I agree. They stole your money. I agree. But let's that's a little it. too. That's a little too meta, and a, yes. and a little too you know you you Eric Idle elbowing you in the side. <laughs> yeah. It's like I know what I'm, I know. I'm watching a satire. I get that. Do you know he didn't make any money on it? <laughs> Again, you, that was Australian. You, All of my fucking accents are Australian. Know, do you know the rest of the movies weren't weren't as critically acclaimed as the first one? Do you know that? <laughs> Ever diminishing returns. <laughs> it's a real poke in the eye. Again, <laughs> Australian. My God, they're different accents. They're literally different accents. My apologies to all the nations of the planet. Um, really enjoyed a component of this movie that I, I know the reason why it went away, but I just enjoyed revisiting that. And this is that is that everyone in this movie is not dressed in skin suits. Where no, this looks very this looks very nineties. Yes. Like they the the how how most of the boys are wearing like shirts or sweaters that are like that are like three sizes too big for them. They're layered. They're layering. <laughs> like if you told an actor that you need to layer in the scene, they're like, fuck, are you crazy? And like the, the only time that's happened in recent memory is again knives out. Then everyone was like fascinated with the clothing choices. Like, yeah. Because everyone's not wearing a goddamn skin suit. Like, not I don't need to see every ripple on everyone's body all the time. Like, leave some mystery. And listen, I'm not. A, I I, I want to see it sometimes. I just don't want to see it all the time. And this movie allows people to, mainly with the exception of Tatum, dress like human beings. But then again, Tatum, it doesn't like. Yeah, she's wearing a a, a half belly, you know, football shirt with these giant red pants with a white stripe like it did it wasn't out of place for 1996 no like, definitely not that, that whole lot. that whole like gwen stefani thing yeah, yeah. that's uh i mean she, there's a later scene where her her nipples are prominently on display but but the way but the way that shot is you know that's the joke that she's yeah. got these you know comically round i mean i don't know <laughs> i don't know if the actress herself has the boob job but the character is her, her breasts look a little artificial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that that's on purpose. Yes, I do. I, I believe it is knowing, but it is also aimed at titillating. Right. So Henry Winkler gets, I think that we're, I mean, we. T- I'm so sad by that. I'm so yeah. sad. And we get that great shot of the, the, the ghost chase's reflection in his eye. That's, that's pretty gnarly. I mean, this movie really plays at being glossy without becoming overly fake. And it it also does something which, you know, like at night, things are lit. You know, obviously the moon is overnaturally bright here, but also there are shadows and it uses those shadows to ferment unease and 
very few people know how to do this. And this is where I think Wes Craven graduates from great director potential to great director. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. He can do, he, he can do, you know, humor elements. He can do, you know, suspense. He can do mystery. Yeah, definitely. This cover is all of that. And how many slasher movies do you know having Nick Cave saw on the soundtrack? <laughs> well. This might, this might have actually been the, 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 the movie that kind of triggered me discovering Nick Cave. You didn't hear it in the X-Files? Because it was big in the X-Files. Oh, when did, the, when did that soundtrack come out? That was, was that? That had to have been 94, 95. Oh, maybe that was it. It's somewhere in that time period. Yes. That, that, but that, that, but this, that was also, you know, Red Right Hand was a song that I particularly liked. And, not, and it's not like they played it on the X-Files and then everyone started playing it on the radio. It was right. that time where it's legend grew and then this one puts it over to the top to the point where you ever hear red right hand again, you automatically think of scream. Right. Exactly. Exactly. This is such a template for so many things and I can't wait to talk about more of it, but listen, we're already well into it. And there's a reason why we split these movies up because, uh, like I could talk about them forever, but, um, I want to keep everyone's attention. I also want to give them a hook. So when we come back next time, we're going to talk about uh, a party that someone should call the fucking cops on. <laughs> yeah, probably. And again, I, I, it, it almost feels like a, a, a you know, obviously unintentional parallel to current events. Yes. Uh, uh, people just, you know, putting themselves in danger because they got to partake. Oh, my God, Gina, you're a, a thousand percent right. Oh and why it's so uncomfortable today to watch something like that yeah oh my god it's so weird it's so wacky this movie is so fucking good it is <laughs> like it's if you've great. seen scream before and this is you know like i don't need to watch it again like watch it again i was i was slightly fearful that it would not come across or would feel too dated or i would get wrapped up in its 90s or there would be some element that i just couldn't get you know get past and not at all. It's still fucking magic. I mean, it's that, just that, magic to me. And that that thing with the whole you know, the opening scene being timed to making the popcorn. Yeah. That's fucking brilliant. Again, I mean, that's, that's that's like, how do you even decide to do that? That that is amazing. I, I love think, real. I love real time shit. Oh my god, it's so good. I mean, again, to get back to the Wes Craven directed thing, like he's always a great, but he's like interpreting his own stuff constantly. And that, and the end results like depend on his ability to translate these very complex ideas and philosophies into action. And here he's been given a script and they're like, just make this come to life. And he's like, you know what? I can do that. I'm going to do the fuck out of that. And he does. It is like everything about this movie exhibits the same amount of control and expertise and focus that allows you to just enter the space of the characters and wonder why they're doing this and doing that without going no one on earth would do that and that's a real fine line to be able to do that it just does it wonderfully it's, it's great I can't, I can't other than Drew Barrymore's wig I cannot find a single thing wrong with this movie <laughs> Well, you know, it, again, wig technology, strangely enough, hasn't gotten any better. Uh, but we'll, uh, we'll we'll revisit that next time. 
Um, of course, uh, next week on the podcast, we're talking, uh, we're going back to Hannibal. Uh, I don't know who the killer of the week is, but it's getting good. Every single one's better than the last one, baby. And of course, we'll be back the week after that with the second half of Scream. Um, our apologies for not having a guest. Unfortunately, they had to drop out at the very last minute, but uh, we will be back with a guest next week that I think everyone will be excited about. And Gina, uh, we we could play. Do you want to play Choose Your Own Death Venture or should we wait and do a Grand Guignol? Because we only got two. I mean, everybody's most, everybody's mostly gotten stabbed in this yeah. so far. So, I mean, I, I, it's not much variety. I mean, I, I think that it means Casey was found hung, but I think the stabbing is kind of what killed her. <laughs> I think the I think the, the the hanging was just you know for presentation purposes. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's wait and do a whole a movie wide choose your own death venture. But uh, before we go, where can people find you on these here internets? I am a writer and uh, I do some editing over at the Spool. That's the Spool um, I by the time this goes up, I will have covered uh, quite a few films at the. Nightstream Film Festival, which is a combination oh. of the Brooklyn Horror Film Festival, Excellent. Overlook Horror Film Festival, and a couple other regional festivals are all doing anything online because of the COVID. Sure. Um, and I am on Twitter under Porcelain72. Do it today, people. Check it out. You can find us on Twitter at Kill by Kill Pond, where we have the Facebook group where we get to talk uh, more in depth on things. Please rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Google now has a podcast app as well. Uh, it helps us be seen and heard by more people. I know we say this every week, but it is absolutely true. Believe you me, I was surprised as anyone that we were number 13 in Australia a mere week ago. Uh, I don't know why that happened, but it was delightful love, to find out. They love your accent. <laughs> Someone does the worst Australian accent of all time. And they're like, well, I got to listen to this. So don't worry, folks. The body count will continue. So for myself and for Gina, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.